Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. The Cincinnati Bengals play today for an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. Let me repeat what I just said. The Cincinnati Bengals could go to the Super Bowl if they win a football game today. Some things need to be stated over and over and over again because it just doesn't seem like it's possible. I have to be perfectly honest with you, though. I'm really not a Bengal fan. Uh, I never have been. I've really never understood why anyone is. Uh, why would you do that to yourself? Uh, just, just find another hobby. However, uh, I have to admit, if they win today, I'm more than happy to jump on the bandwagon and I'll enjoy this like everyone else. But truthfully, I don't care. I just don't care that much because the Bengals have never given me a very good reason to care. There's never been enough enjoyment from them that I'm just going to put my heart out there. If I'm going to give my heart away, I need to know that there's a reason to believe that it's going to be worthwhile. Uh, On a side note, I actually went to a Bengals game earlier this year. Uh, They lost 41-16 at home to the Cleveland Browns. So it's further proof that I'm not sure about the excitement. But as we move to our passage today, uh, there is a principle that I find to be true, certainly more importantly than just a sports team, and it's this. That our confidence in the future is based upon the performance in the past. Our confidence about what will happen in the future is directly tied toward what we know to be true in the past. This is true for sports teams, but it's, it's certainly more than just that. How confident are we in anything is going to be based upon what has happened in the past. I think it's pretty obvious if we think little of one's past we're going to struggle to be very optimistic about the future. Now, again, putting the Bengals totally aside and thinking about our passage this morning in Psalm 16, we get a picture of a man's heart who is very, very, very confident about the future. And as we're going to see this morning, he has good reason to be that confident. We see in the Psalm of David that the king of Israel was in a place of desperation But yet, in the middle of the desperation, his heart was joyful. How does that happen? We don't know the particular occasion that produced this desperation, but what we do know from verse 1 is that he was seeking the Lord. He was seeking the refuge of God. That was his cry. There was nowhere else he would turn other than to the Lord. He was a man, he was a man in need of help, and his confidence is that it would be delivered from the danger based completely upon the Lord's power to save him. 
But notice, as I read these words, the ethos of the psalm, it's not about the danger, but rather it's about his confidence that the Lord would do that which only the Lord could do. See, David was confident even though he did not know the particulars of the future. Rather, he was confident because he knew with whom he trusted. David's confidence was not based on his own ingenuity, not his cleverness, not even his personal position of authority, but rather his confidence was based upon the fact from verse 2 that Yahweh was his God and he had no hope outside of him. So here's a question for today, a question I've been wrestling with this week as I've prepared. As followers of Christ, all of us live by faith. Faith in God's ongoing provision for us. In all ways and all things, we trust the Lord. And faith does mean by fact that we have not received all that we will receive from the Lord. So therefore, we are trusting the Lord on an ongoing basis that marks our life. So let me ask you this. And I pray that in the sincerity of your heart, you'll be honest with yourself. What is it this morning that you hope God will do that he has not yet done? at least not as of yet in its fullness. What are you trusting the Lord to do that only the Lord can do? I'm sure for all of us this morning, there are things in which we are hoping that the Lord will do. Perhaps it's related to your health. Perhaps it's related to family frustrations. Perhaps it's related to adult children and their decisions. Perhaps it's related to unconverted family or friends. And in some way, the Lord has not yet answered those particular prayers. And even though you try to make sense of it all, you just desperately want God to do what only he can do. So I ask you, will you be honest this morning and admit in your own heart what that is? And here's my proposition for us this morning from the text. Is that you may live in confident joy as you trust his provision in your life. Regardless of what your struggle is, that you will experience his joy as you wait, as you trust in him. I want to mention three things from our passage that, that reveal the activities of someone who is confidently trusting in the Lord to provide all things. See this in David's heart and in his prayer. First, notice the provision of his people. Second, the provision of his truth. And then thirdly, the provision of his sacrifice. His people, his truth, and his sacrifice. My prayer for us this morning is that wherever we are, whatever's going on in our life, that God would grant us joy as we hope in him. First, notice verse 3. We live in confident joy by accepting the provision of his people. Maybe it's not surprising that the pastor of care and community often returns to this verse, but I I freely admit that I absolutely love verse 3 of Psalm 16. Let me read it again. As for the saints who are in the land... They are the excellent ones in whom is all of my delight. Get the picture here. David is in the midst of some type of struggle. His heart is hurting and he does not know how the Lord is going to deliver him. And though unsure of the particulars of how God will in fact provide, he is certain of certain things. And one of those things is his relationship with other people who live by faith. These holy ones, or these saints, depending on your translation were excellent for David, and he found all of his delight in them. 
they were not other kings. They were not necessarily people of high position of influence or power. Rather, these were other people who were simultaneously living by faith. They were other people who cried out to the Lord. Those were the ones in which he found his hope. These saints in the lands were fellow people on a journey seeking the Lord above all else. And what David's words are saying to us today is that in the midst of struggle and confusion and disappointment, God gives us an incredible gift, and that gift is other Christians. Don't make this more complicated than what it is. The gift is the fellowship that we have with each other. One of the most precious gifts to the people of God are the friendships that we have with other people of God. It's fascinating here to me that David doesn't mention names. He doesn't mention activities. He just says that these other saints, these excellent ones, where he finds his delight. But we do see in other places in Scripture some of David's friends and some of their activities. I'll mention one of those now. If you look in 1 Samuel, you see a very beautiful picture of David's relationship with his friend Jonathan. Their friendship began in a season of joy after the defeat of Goliath. It continued as David served in Jonathan's father's home, King Saul. Jonathan covenanted to help David no matter what would happen. And then in the midst of trial, in the midst of temptation, when King Saul sought to kill David, it was Jonathan who protected his friend and gave counsel all the way until his death. But here's the point. In the middle of seasons of struggle, it's a friendship with fellow believers that fuel our faith. When David feared for his life, Jonathan's friendship to him was huge. It was God's gift to him. It fueled his perseverance. You know, inside of our church, just because of the nature of, of what I do, of caring community, I hear a lot of good stories of where this happens. I thought about various examples this week of things that I could share from women's Bible study and stories there, or lift groups, or whatever the case may be, but I'll simply highlight what's going to happen tonight. The men in my Pierce group will gather at Chuck Sox's house. We will eat pizza. We'll in some way discuss Psalm 16. We'll know the outcome of the Bengals game, so that'll probably be discussed. We will share prayer requests, and we will pray, and we will laugh, and we will eat, and then we'll come home. But at the result of that, our hearts are going to be lifted. And what I want you to see this morning is that's not just a social activity. That is God's gift to his people, that we live in community with each other. Again, it's Nate's birthday, so I can't leave out a a Nate Jones um, quote this morning. But Nate says, I've repeated this often, that people are assimilated into our church when two things happen. One, when they are using a spiritual gift to the service of others. And then secondly, when they have some buddies. And he's right. It's when we have friends, when we can share our lives with, that is a supernatural gift of the Lord. I hope you see this morning, this is God's gracious gift to us that we have relationships with each other. Yesterday we had Presbytery in Louisville, uh, and it was shared by uh, uh, one of the fathers of our denomination there, Rod Mays. Uh, He's been a longtime leader in the RUF ministry, but he, he gave a quote that was just... Stunning and chilling. 
He said that today's college students, by definition, by category, by results of surveys, are the loneliest generation in America's history. Today's college students. And I hear that and I think, inside the church of Jesus Christ, that can't be true. That we're going to minister, we're going to love, we're going to do whatever it takes. That we are going to live inside of community together. If you're not connected to other people, I beg you, let the church help you. This is God's gift to us. But also, if you are in some group, some sort of group, a college group, whatever the case may be, will you let the church be God's gracious gift to you? The other people who surround you are agents of God's grace. Be welcoming to new people. Be vulnerable as you're there. Let other people into your world. Receive their help. It is how the Lord has designed this. Compare this to verse 4. Just see the reality of the difference where David finds his hope in the lives of other people. The church is not to be like the rest of the world. See, those who are seeking something other than Christ, their lives are sorrowful. But those seeking faith in Jesus' provision provide delight. Delight. Isn't that what we all want? So to experience confident joy this morning involves having other Christians in your life. Deep friendships are ordained by God. Again, don't make this more complicated than what it is. Avail yourselves to other people. Second thing I want to highlight this morning from David's prayer when we see the provision of people. But notice verse 7, the provision of his truth. If you're in a season of struggle this morning, you're calling out to the Lord for his help, please notice the power here in verse 7. David reveals that even in the nighttime, when anxiety and pressure and fear can be the most intense, the Lord provides another gift, and it is easy for us to miss it, so let's ensure that we do not. The Lord gives counsel to his people. That's it. The Lord provides instruction about what to do inside of these lives. Inside of the circumstances where we are confused and frustrated, the Lord is the one who gives instruction to our lives. That means how we live, how we think, how we act, how we move, how we feel, how we understand decisions that we make. The Lord helps us. See, the very thing that David needed in the midst of his struggle was to see how the circumstances through the lens of what God was doing in and through the circumstance. The counsel of God is the supernatural ability to think God-like thoughts. It's to see the world through the lens of how God sees the world. I dare you to think of a greater gift than that. Please see this morning that the counsel of God seen throughout all of Scripture is not an imaginary concept, but rather it is the very Word of God. Go later today, spend some devotional time and read Psalm 119. The same author writes an entire psalm on the beauty and the power of the perfect Word of God. Please know this morning what the Lord is doing inside of all of our lives is he is writing his word upon our hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. A picture of the new heavens and the new earth will be when all of our thoughts are only God's word. Let me say this as clearly as I possibly can. 
As God's people, we live in this community with other people and have deep friendships inside of the church. And what this community of friendship is in desperate need is a steady, regular diet of God's word. We need the reading, we need the hearing, we need the preaching, we need the meditating, the memorizing, the praying, the words of Scripture. It's when Scripture is alive in our hearts that it affects our mind. So that when we are in the heat of the circumstances, our thoughts match God's thoughts. I don't say this in any way to shame you if you're not actively engaged in consuming the Word. Rather, I simply point out that when David's life was in crisis, his hope was kept alive because the word of God had penetrated his heart. Because scripture was alive in his mind that he could stay awake in the night and live without anxiety. A number of years ago, I was at a retreat where an older lady uh, in the faith was sharing uh, her story of faith and perseverance and dependence upon the Lord. And in her testimony, she shared how her adult daughter had turned from the Lord and continually made one bad decision after another. And she shared to us how she had committed her life to praying for her older daughter. And and that, that was a beautiful picture, but what stood out to me as she shared her testimony was not just her commitment to pray, but how she prayed Scripture. Particularly, she prayed Isaiah 44, verse 3, for her adult child. And it says this. It says, I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And for year after year, she held on to the power and the promise of God's word as she prayed. She claimed God's promises in tears with the power of the word, and her hope was sustained. And friends, I was, I was thinking about this as well this week. There's so much counsel in our world today. I mean a lot of counsel, and I enjoy a lot of it, from Rogan to Peterson, and the list can go on and on and on. But what is interesting to our mind is not the same thing that will provide hope in the middle of the night. We need more than just good podcasts. We need the Bible alive, the promises of the word. You see, it is the word that will point us time and again to our Savior. It's the word that gives truth. It's the word that in the middle of the night, when circumstances are hard, will remind us of the promise of what Jesus is doing. Ask God to lead you as you read the word, as you study the word, as you memorize the word. Ask God's spirit to guide you, and as a result, joy will come through his promises. This is God's gift to you. David is saying, in the night, you give counsel. Take his gift, be in his word, enjoy his promises to you. So along this path of our hope being renewed and confident joy, the Lord provides friendships, the Lord provides his truth, but then then lastly, notice the provision of his sacrifice. I said at the beginning that our confidence in the future is based upon what occurred in the past. Notice verse 10, and let your heart soar with hope. See how the entire ethos of this psalm is connected to this one fact. David says that his ultimate hope is that he will not be abandoned to Sheol. That's a great promise. But we will not be abandoned to Sheol for one particular reason. 
That's the second half of the verse. And that is because David says to the Lord, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Understand this morning that King David's life and service was a mere foreshadowing of another king who would come. David's greater son was the great King Jesus, our Savior. Matthew Henry says of this passage that this psalm is about David and his life, but it has far more to do with Jesus and his life. This psalm shouts to us this morning that hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God the Father would send his son to this earth and that he would die, but death would not defeat him. His death would not be like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Moses or even King David. There would be no corruption. If we miss the Holy One not seeing decay, we will think this is a nice song. We'll enjoy reading it, but it will not provide ultimate hope. The ultimate hope is in the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. Peter and Paul in the New Testament reference this verse And it was always about the physical resurrection of Jesus. So please see this morning, the hope that you have, the joy that is available to you, it has a basis. It has a foundation. It has a past. The fact Jesus came for us and lived and received God's punishment. He is our sacrifice and he rose from the dead. So now we can say with David, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. This is the life that we have. This is the life that God has for us. So I ask you this morning, is the perfect life of Jesus, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, is that the basis of your hope? I urge you to put your hope in him and experience his joy. Are you deep down looking for something or someone else to give you meaning, to give you value, to give you purpose? If you are, I can't promise you will ever find joy. But if he is your hope, recognize this morning, it affects every part of your life. And he loves you. So I ask, will the Bengals win today? Probably not. But friends, your hope is connected to the man who already won. Our life is hidden in Christ and he is alive. So whatever you are going through this morning, you may trust him. Be joyful today. Jesus is on his throne and he is with you. Let's prepare our hearts now to come to his table for him to feed us. Oh, Father, we thank you that, yes, indeed, this morning, our hope is in you. Our confidence is in you. You are the author of our faith, and you are the one who sustains us. We give you praise for that fact this morning. Come meet us around this table, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.